Acts chapter number 20, find your place as quickly as you can. Rhonda and I would like to thank you for all the kindnesses you've shown us while here. And praise the Lord for a nice big room uh, and wonderful things placed in the room for us. Thank the Lord for all those Mexican meals we have eaten. It's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we mean that from the bottom of our heart. We praise the Lord for you, for the testimony of this great church. How many are excited to be a part of this church? Raise your hand. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I'm excited. I'm just, I was excited before I got here. And now I'm really excited. And uh, I'm really am. I want you to look now at the book of Acts chapter 20. I am excited this more, this evening and uh, just looking forward to see what God's going to do. I'm about as excited as that old boy had only been saved a week. He didn't know Job from Job. He didn't know Psalms from Palms. He didn't know Genesis from Generation or Revelation from Revolution, but he knew he was saved. He'd been a cussing, drinking, fighting, casino-going, womanizing, dopehead idiot, but he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ and got born again. He was sitting there reading his Bible. He didn't know there was an Old and New Testament. And he was trying to read his Bible, and he looked out the window, and yonder came a lady down the sidewalk. She was a middle-aged lady, had a little girl. Well, she was 30-ish, late 30-ish, had a little girl with her, and she had a satchel in her hand. He assumed her to be a salesman. She came down, turned the sidewalk, came up on the porch. He's watching, and she knocks on the door. He goes and opens the door. She said, sir, we would like to study the Bible with you. Oh, he said, that's wonderful. Uh, But you have to come back. My wife's not here. I couldn't invite you in without her. Oh, no. She said, we don't have to come in the house. We can study the Bible right here. See, she didn't know. He didn't know she is a Jehovah's Witness. He never heard of one. Didn't know what a Jehovah's Witness was. And uh, so, but the longer she talked, the more he was convinced. And when it came to really what the Bible taught, she was as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. I mean, she didn't know up from down. He didn't know there's anybody in the world that claimed to be Christian that did not believe that Jesus was God. None of them do. That's one of their cardinal doctrines. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's a created being by God. But the Jesus who died on the cross created all things, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that's what the Bible said. But, but he didn't know what to say to her. He'd just gotten saved. He didn't know any verses. He didn't know there was anybody in the world that did not believe in uh, salvation by grace. Well, she didn't believe that either. Well, he didn't know much, but he knew that salvation was a gift of God. And so he, but he didn't know what to say to her. He didn't know any verses. He'd just gotten saved and he was so fluttered about it. He didn't know there was anybody in the world that did not believe in celebrating Christmas. She didn't believe that either. Well, he'd been celebrating Christmas all his life, most times with Jack Daniels, but he'd been celebrating, you know. He didn't know there was anybody in the world that didn't believe in a literal burning hell. She didn't believe in that either. He knew there was a hell. He knew that before he got saved. That's what brought him to salvation is the fear of going to hell. But he didn't know what to say to her. He had just gotten saved. He didn't know there was anybody in the world that wouldn't post the American flag and salute the flag that claimed to be a citizen of this country. She didn't believe in doing that either. But he didn't know what to say to her. But she promised she'd come back. And he thought, well, I'll be ready for her when she comes back. And he went and got got to study in his Bible. Nothing like a little motivation, you know. And he got to study in his Bible. Well, she didn't come back. You know how it is. You can never find one when you're looking for them. But anyway, he looked out the window, and yonder, about three weeks later, and yonder she came down the sidewalk. Well, it wasn't her, but you can always tell them. 
Same profile. Had a little girl, different little girl, but about the same age as the other little girl. Had a satchel, looked much like the first satchel that he saw. And here she came. She turned up the sidewalk to his porch. Before she ever got to the porch, he knocked that front door open, stepped out with that great big family Bible under his arm, began to quote verses on the deity of Christ. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. We're to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. I mean, boom, boom, boom. He unloaded about 20 verses on that woman. She's looking up at him, batting her eyes like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. And he poured it on. Then after that, he began to quote verses on salvation by grace. I mean, a gift of God, not of work, lest any man should boast. And he unloaded about 14 verses and sang three verses of amazing grace. And when he got done with that, he began to quote verses on Christmas. He quoted the entire story of the birth of Christ from Luke chapter 2, word perfect. I mean, word perfect. And began to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. And when he got done with that, he began to quote verses on hell. He swung that poor woman's soul out over hell for a solid 15 minutes. I mean, he quoted, I mean, the worms were over her and the worms were under her. She was chewing at her tongue for pain. And when he got done with that, he went over and posted the American flag, stood back and saluted the flag and said, God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her with the light from above. And when he got done with that, he looked down at her and said, now, woman, what do you think of that? She looked up at him and said, mister, in my 21 years as an Avon lady, I have never had a greeting like that. That's one woman got her wagon loaded, friend. I'm telling you, she, she got a foot. And I'm excited. I'm excited tonight. I'm about as excited as that old boy when he got saved, uh, when he got married. He was nervous as a tomcat in a room full of rocking chairs. I mean, he was nervous. And, 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 and he was standing there, and the preacher finally got down to the party. It says, I now pronounce you man and wife. He was so nervous, he kissed the preacher, gave his wife $50, and left with his mama. He was nervous. And I'm excited tonight. I'm excited. And it's a wonderful thing to be in with the Lord. Acts chapter number 20, please. I got to get rolling here. I've got a lot to preach. Acts chapter number 20. Pastor said I could have unlimited time tonight, but I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. When I get done, I'll quit. Now, preacher, you and I have heard a lot of preachers got done and they didn't quit. But uh, when I get done, I'll quit. I promise. I'm open to Acts chapter number 20, verse number 28. Everybody stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. And get ready fast. I feel the big wheel about to get tangled up with the little wheel right now. I mean, listen, Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He's speaking to the pastors now. And he's telling them, you feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice the church of who? God which he, that refers to God, which he had purchased with his own what? Blood. So what does this prove? Was the one who shed their blood on the cross, what does that prove about him? He's God. It's God that shed his blood on the cross, you see. And I pulled that on some Jehovah's Witness here and yonder, and every single one of them uh, balks. They just sit back. They don't know what to do with that. But notice here, here's what Paul said in verse 29, for I know this. He didn't say, I think this, I'm worried about this, I suspicion this, or this could be. He said, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch. 
And remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Pastor, I think you can apply that verse to soul winning, but it does not mean soul winning. You can apply it to soul winning, but Paul here was not referring to spending uh, three years warning everybody night and day with tears that they're going to go to hell. That had nothing to do with it. When you see the word therefore, always look and see what it's there for. And just the two verses before this, he said the wolves are coming. They're going to come in from outside. They'll join your church from other bodies, of other, uh, from other groups of believers, and they'll move into your church. They'll come and join your church. And then he said, of your own selves, people that have been here for years sometimes, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. The word perverse means different than, different than the pastor has said. He said, therefore, watch, and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. The apostle Paul said in a church that he had established. The Apostle Paul said in a church that he started. The Apostle Paul said in a church where he had won the people. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul had won them to God and he says when I'm gone the wolves are going to come. He said I got to move on and start another church but I'm warning you the wolves are coming. Now let me ask you a question. In a church where the Apostle Paul had started, won the people to God and started the church, if in a church like that he said I know that the wolves are going to come. Don't you think it'd be a smart thing for us to say a little something about it here tonight? Don't you think that'd be a good idea? If he said, I know it's going to happen, I know it's going to happen, don't you think it'd be a wise thing for you and I to give a little bit of warning about the wolves coming? With that in mind, I want to bring you a message called... Blow the whistle on the wolf. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the way of God. Oh, Lord, I don't know I'm saved because of feeling, but I feel real saved tonight. I just feel real saved. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll bless us now as we preach the Bible. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Give me your undivided attention. I'm going to be on a roll now. I won't waste your time. We'll throw away the cob and keep the corn tonight. And we're going to do it quickly. So follow along as we go. Wolves are dangerous. Wolves are dangerous and wolves are to be avoided. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if any man obey not our word by this epistle... Know that man and have no company with him. And then in Romans 16, 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine ye have received and avoid them. What we're going to do tonight is mark wolves. This message is not designed to keep a wolf out of your church. There is nothing that will keep a wolf out of your church. This message is not designed to run a wolf off if you've already got one. And by the way, if you've got one, this man don't know it right here. If you've got a problem, have you ever told me about anybody in this church that ever caused a problem? Have you ever told me about anybody in this church that you worry might cause a problem someday? Has the subject ever, have we ever talked about that? Okay. Now, the reason I say that, and by the way, he's never heard this sermon. And about two-thirds of this sermon is going to be education for the preacher. We're going to let you listen in. It'll be good for you, too. But I want you to listen in. But here's what I'm telling you. Before I get done preaching, somebody in this room is going to vow somebody loaded my wagon or told me about somebody. Is there anybody in this building that's ever told me about anybody here that could have a, uh, could have a divisive um, spirit or an ugly spirit or a cantankerous way? Is anybody? Raise your hand. You, you ever told me about anybody like that? No. Nobody has. Now, here's what I'm going to say. 
You follow along with me now. I'm not shooting at you. If, if you hear your phone ringing, it was the Holy Ghost of God that rung your phone. It wasn't me. Wolves are dangerous. Wolves are to be avoided. And what we're doing tonight, we can't run them off. We can't keep them out. But this message is an educational sermon. This message reveals a wolf. This me- message lets you know what a wolf does, how they act, what they do, their behavior pattern. And by the way, you better pray that God will take care of the service. You would not believe some of the strange and usual things I've had when I started preaching this sermon. I mean, I, I, I can't, I've had people pass out. I've had people faint. I've had people get mad. I've had people do all kinds of things in this sermon. But what we're going to do tonight is try to mark wolves. It's not easy to mark them because they like to blend with their own environment. Somebody said there's three kinds of wolves listed in the Bible. Zephaniah 3, 3 speaks of evening wolves. Matthew 7, 15 speaks of ravening wolves. Here in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, it speaks of grievous wolves. The evening wolves of Zephaniah 3, 3 are the wolves that do their stuff very subtly. I was in a church running a thousand. And uh, I said to the pastor, I'm, I'm preaching a meeting, and I said to the pastor, I said, do you have any wolf trouble here? Oh, no. He said, man, our church is on a roll. And it was just kind of like his church, except it was quite a bit bigger than this church. And it was on a go. And man, they were running buses and winning souls. And I mean, listen, it was a place where everything good was happening. And he said, we are in a honeymoon. My, the people and I are in a real honeymoon. And I'm telling you, well, why did you ask? I said, I don't know. I just feel led to preach the wolf sermon. He said, preach it. You never know when a man might have some trouble down the road. Boy, did he ever tell the truth. Little did he know that his secretary and her deacon husband was already making the rounds on him. Little did he know they were sowing question marks and innuendos, not about his character, his morals, or, or that. They were too smart for that. But the way he did things and decisions that he made, secretary divulging information that she should have never been telling anybody, speaking around behind him and creating little question marks. about. Little did he know. During this sermon, they were so exposed, I had no idea either, they were so exposed that people were turning around looking at them while I was preaching. And they were getting red in the face. And they were getting angry. And within a week and a half, they mounted their horse, tipped their hat, and rode off into the sunset. And this pastor called me and he said, Brother Brown, you saved my ministry. I said, son, I didn't save your ministry. The Holy Ghost of God saved your ministry. That what saved your ministry. We're talking about subtle wolves. And then the ravening wolves of Matthew 7, 15. I had a preacher call me and destroying wolves. A preacher called me and said, Brother Brown, I don't know what to do. He said, I've got a youth director, and this youth director is talking negative about me, and I've just found it out. I don't know what to do. I said, well, let me tell you what to do. You, go, you make a beeline to him. You look him square in the eye and tell him you know what he's doing, and the next time he opens his mouth negative about you, you're going to go straight to your pulpit and give your people the opportunity to pick him or you to be the pastor of the church. Because he already was very ingrained and rooted in the, see, he had, he had the heart of the young people because, had the heart of the parents because he had their young people. And he was in a position to cause big time trouble. And, but the pastor didn't do it. He waited too long. And that man took 28 tithing, working, praying, Christian school teaching, bus running, bus captain, teachers, 28 families 
out of that church. The last I knew, that church, instead of running a 1,000, was running 200. It was the shadow of the church that it was and would never come back to what it was. We're talking about destroying wolves. And then Acts 20 and verse 29 here speaks of grievous wolves. Grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. I got a call from a preacher, and he was in my state. He said, Brother Brown, I got trouble. I got wolf trouble, but that's not the biggest trouble I've got. The biggest trouble I've got is my wife, his wife. He came in. He said, I came in today, and they knifed my wife in the back. They had knifed her in the back because they were too yellow-bellied coward to come to me with what they wanted to complain about, and they knifed her in the back. He said, I came in today, and she had taken a twenty-two rifle, set to her head, and it jammed. The only thing kept her from killing herself. And he said, I don't know what to do. I had him come to my home. We kept their children. We put them in a motel room. I, I told him, I said, you go to that room with your wife. Don't you even let her go to, get up to go to the bathroom without you. you. You stay awake if you have to. The woman was in a bad shape, and by the way, she was a good woman a godly woman, a soul-winning woman, a righteous woman. And you say, what'd you advise him to do? Get out! I stayed 38 years in the church to prove you don't jump and run every time you have a little trouble, but I'm not going to bury my wife over anybody's church. Did you hear what I just said to you? I said, if you lose that church, you might get another one, but if you lose your wife, you're done, bud. It's over. And he left that church. I said, that church is a little split off of a split off of a splinter. And I said, they don't want to grow. They, they'll talk big about separation and soul winning until you come in and get people saved. And with their little clique can't run the church, they'll give you trouble until uh, you die. And I said, I wouldn't bury my wife over it. He left there, went to another ministry. He's been there 20 years. He has won thousands of people to God. He's won thousands. Of, and his wife is a godly woman. And they've both been used of God in a great way. Hey! We're talking about grievous wool. Somebody has said the bees and the birds and the cows all low and hum and sing in the major chord, but a wolf always howls in the minor chord. I believe I hear a wolf howling somewhere now. Somewhere I believe I hear a wolf howling. Ladies and gentlemen, it may sound like dogs to you, but it's not dogs. The sound that you're hearing was recorded by a man that spent his lifetime studying wolves up in Canada and Alaska at night with infrared lights in trees following the wolf pack as they, as they move through the forest. Hear that disharmony? They never howl in harmony. And that's a sound that only a godly pastor knows. When it comes up, son, you, maybe you never had any trouble. You buckle your seatbelt. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church the devil wouldn't fight. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church that the devil wouldn't fight. And you buckle your seatbelt. You're not going to build that building and grow this church and reach 500, 700, 1,000 without a battle. Now, I know this. I know this. And after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And you know what I'm doing tonight? I'm blowing the whistle on the wall. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Wolves have, number one, wolves have carnal appetites. If you don't want to draw up a bunch of wolves, keep the flesh out of the church. Amen. You don't need a set of drums sitting on this platform, preacher. You don't need to introduce Miss Wigglejaw uh, to get up and sing. And she comes coming up here with so much green eyeshadow, looks like her gallbladder's busted, and comes waddling up on the platform with a dress on about three sizes too small, grabs a microphone, and begins to sing, Oh, do you know Jesus? God have mercy! 
We got saved out of that kind of stuff. If we want that kind of junk, we go back to the nightclub and get it. But he had put a new song in our heart, even praise unto our God. Keep the flame. I love your music. Your music here starves wolves out. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's warm. It's vibrant. It's lifting. It's stirring. But it's not carnal. I'm so sick and tired. Now, just before Brother Brown comes to sing, we're going to have uh, Sister Tight Dress get up here and sing. And she comes waddling up and begins to, you know what? This Amy Grunt, Fatty Patty, Heave Green, Ganger, a grouch junk ain't putting no ham on the hall. We're going to have to get the flesh. And by the way, if you're going to get up here in this choir and sing, don't wear a dress too tight, ladies. And don't you look at me that way. I've been preaching for 58 years. I can't quit just because you stare at me. Uh, you, don't you, you motivate me when you look at me. So a couple of you looked at me then. Don't you do that. I'll park right here and preach a solid 30 minutes. I'll preach a hole through you. Don't you look at me that way. I ain't afraid of you. No. No, if I can't handle you, I'll turn my wife loose on you, buddy. You will be sorry then. Amen. Keep the place clean. Keep it clean. Yes, sir. Keep it clean. You know what we're doing tonight? I, I, I believe I hear another wolf howling. Oh, yeah. I believe I hear another wolf howling. Hey, I'm going to whistle on the wolf. Thank you, my brother. Number two, you got to know something about the traits of a wolf. Know something about the traits, how they behave. Here's something you'll never believe. That old female wolf, when she's got little pups, little babies in the den, when they're just old enough to toddle around, she'll trot the country looking for something rotten. She'll find a deer that's been dead for two weeks in the hot sun, half rotted, and a gallon of maggots working their way all in and out the body. That female, that old female wolf will stop and take her mouth and rip off uh, strips of that rotten meat, maggots and all, and ingest it whole. Then she'll go back to her den and she'll regurgitate that for those little pups and they'll sit there and eat on that. Do you know what a wolf will do in the church? They'll circumvent the whole church looking for something that stinks looking for some bad news, looking for somebody that's got some secret in their life. Well, let me tell you something. You let the preacher and the Holy Ghost tend to that. You mind your own business. Amen. You mind your own business. But you, listen, if, if you can't come to this church and see something to praise the Lord for here, you need to get on the altar. If you can't come to this church and rejoice in that choir and what they sang tonight, if you can't rejoice in the special music and this dear brother who got up here and sang, whose daughter I think is getting married sometimes right away, if you can't, hey, if you can't get a blessing out of that, there's something wrong with you. Oh, yeah. If you want to report on the landscape, don't ask a buzzard and don't ask a wolf. Ask a dove. Ask a hummingbird. They'll tell you all about it. I'm just saying you got to know the traits of a wolf. Here's another thing. A wolf is a need meter. God sent me here to meet the needs of this church. No, he didn't. God sent him here to meet the needs of this church. The need, uh, you know, Absalom, in the book of uh, 2 Samuel 15, 11, Absalom, uh, let me just read to you what he did. Uh, Absalom in 2 Samuel 15 and verse 11. I'll read it to you. I'll be gone before you get there. So just look up here. It says, uh, Absalom said, moreover, all that I was made a judge in the land that every man that hath any suit or cause might come unto me and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all of Israel over a period of years, that is, at, at, at that came to the king for judgment. He intercepted the people before they could get to his daddy who was the king and he hated his daddy. He was trying to run his daddy off the throne. And the Bible says, so Absalom stole the hearts 
of the men of Israel. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And uh, God has sent me. There's people hurting here everywhere. This is my ministry, Pastor. My ministry is to, your ministry is keep your mouth shut, woman, and stay in your place. The women don't want you running around being a doctor to them. They want you to sit and listen to everybody else like they do and listen to the preacher like they do. I'm just saying you got to know something about the traits of a woman. They want a, high, a priority in position. They want to be up front. They want to be seen. She'll come into this church, and here's what she or he will say. Pastor, uh, you wouldn't know this if I didn't tell you this, but God has used me in the last five churches that I've been in. God has used me to sing. I don't know why people say it, but they say I have an unusual, beautiful singing voice. And I just thought I'd, you wouldn't know if I didn't tell you, but God has used me to sing. Well, thanks for the warning, Gertrude. Thanks. We don't want to hear anybody sing it, push their way up and think they're so hot and mighty. We want somebody that if you go to them, they'll say, well, listen, I don't think I do a very good job, but if you think I can, I'm in. Count me in. I want to serve the Lord and do anything for God. But you're not looking for a position. You're looking for a condition. You want to be right with the Lord and you want to serve the Lord and uh, want to serve on a committee. The word committee ought to be a cuss word in the Baptist church. Amen. Amen. You got to know something about the traits of a wolf. I could go on about this, but I got more to say. I believe I hear another wolf. I think we got one treat on that one, don't you? I believe I hear another wolf howling. And tonight we're blowing a whistle on the wolf. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. It's amazing how a wolf will get all bent out of shape over nothing. I've had people get upset over things and get cross about things. And I thought to myself, hey, look. If you're going to get mad about something, don't get mad about that. That's a light matter. I'd make you a list and give you things you can get mad about better than that. It's crazy how they get all bent out of shape over nothing. Here's another thing about a wolf. A wolf will come to the pastor. Pastor, you know, I know we've been here for several years, but it looks like that we're going to have to leave. And the pastor will say, oh, well, what's the problem? Pastor, wait a minute. Watch this. We are just not being fed. We're just not being fed. You know, it's an amazing thing that somebody joined this church and stayed 10 years, and when they join, when they join, they join because they are being fed. They join because they're getting the Word of God. They join because they're getting blessed. Their marriage is getting saved. Their teenagers are getting saved, and their family's being blessed, and they feed on the Word of God, and they're in awe about it. But suddenly, after about 10 years, suddenly, when the pastor's older and knows more Bible than he did to start with, and is a better preacher all along than he ever was, isn't it amazing that suddenly they're just not being fed? And by the way, I'm going to throw you in the shot. They're right. They are right. They're not being fed. And let me tell you how, why they are not being fed. The Bible says in Thessalonians that, um, uh, let, me, uh, let me just look it up for you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to find it for you. I, wanna, I, I could quote this one, but I want to I read it to you. First Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to take time to do this. Here it is. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them. Watch it now. Watch it. To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That's your pastor. He's over the flock. And admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So you esteem them. 
and honor your pastor. Not to make a God out of him. We've had enough man worship in this country, don't you think? Not, not to make a God out of him, but you esteem him very highly in love for his work. Say, here's what happens. You allow somebody or something to de-evaluate the pastor in your eyes. And if you forget everything I tell you tonight, you remember this one. You can never get any more out of this pastor's preaching and ministry than the level to which you esteem him. You came here and you were overwhelmed at the church, the choir, the print, that young guy. Did you hear him preach that King James Bible? And I mean, you went home and said, wow, what a preacher. What a, and he's way up here. And so you're getting your wagon loaded every time you come and you're being blessed because you've esteemed the pastor way up here. Now, through the years and different circumstances, you've allowed something to de-evaluate the pastor. So now you're not getting this level of feeding you're getting this level of feeding. So that's why you really think you're not being fed. The truth is you're not being fed because you cannot take any more food in than the level to which you esteem the man of God. Hey, let me tell you something. Honor the pastor. Uh, honor the pastor. Exalt the Lord, but honor your pastor. Thank God you got a, you're sitting on a gold mine and don't know it. And I'll tell you about that in just a minute here. But I'm just trying to say you got to know something about the, the traits of the wolf. Here's another thing. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. 3 John 9 and 10, I wrote unto the church about Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Pratting against us with all malicious words. Whenever you see somebody in the church, now preacher, listen, he has never heard this. He's taking notes over here. This is an educational sermon for him, but it's also for you too. You need to understand some things. You see, a wolf will never tear your church up. It's not the wolf. It, Absalom had 200 simple men that followed him and knew nothing. They never stopped to say, who's the king? Who's supposed to be in charge around here? It's the members that follow a wolf. It's the members that don't understand what's going on. It's the members. And by the way, this person may be one of the most emulated persons in your church. And the higher their position and having men's persons in admiration because of advantage, and the more it is, the more effect they can have in tearing up a church. Folks, look at me. I've been preaching 58 years. I've been doing evangelistic work for the last 45 years. I've been, I walked in and out of churches all over this country like a little boy hoeing a cornrow. I walk in and out of churches like you walk in and out of rooms of your house. I mean, week after week after week after week. I, I, listen, I preached in three churches in the last nine days, and I, I, didn't, I, I didn't write in you on a load of pumpkins last night. I've sat in Shoney's after service and listened to preachers, and it's always the same song, the second verse, and I know a few things. I don't know everything, but I don't preach everything. And I'll tell you this right now. I know what I'm talking about, and Paul said... After my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So all wolves want to be leaders of the pack. They're inwardly bothered. They're inwardly bothered with verses like Hebrews 13, verse number 7. And here's what it says. It says, remember them which have the rule over you. That's the pastor. They don't want anybody ruling over them. They don't want to be under the authority of anybody. And then in verse 17, same chapter, obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Verse number 24, same chapter, third time. Salute all them that have the rule over you. Now let me tell you something. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. And they're inwardly bothered because a pastor has the authority. 
They want to be the big shot. They, they're like Korah in that crowd over in Numbers chapter number 16 when they said to Moses, you take too much upon yourself, Moses. The reason they said that, they want to be the big shot. Yeah. Members of a church don't want to lay awake at night till one o'clock in the morning beating their head against a wall to try to get a message that would deliver you and your children from the pit of hell and keep your marriage together. You, they don't want to do that. They just want to run their mouth and be a big shot. Amen. Amen. Uh, and, and here's another thing, Pastor. Are you ready for this? Pastor, thank you so much for giving me this appointment. I, you know, really, I should have come three months ago. And, and uh, before I tell you what I really came to tell you, Pastor, I just want to say how much we appreciate what a grand and glorious pastor you are. I mean, a man that stands on that King James Bible. A man with his doctrine straight. A man with a good wife and a good family. I mean, pastor, you just don't know. You don't find men like you everywhere. But pastor, if you forget everything else I say tonight, remember this next phrase. But pastor, people are coming to me. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. People are coming to me. Now, what's a pastor going to do? He's going to say, well, who are they? Pastor, I could not hurt good people. Now, these people have come to me, and they've shared some things that they're concerned about here in the church in confidence. I couldn't divulge that and hurt. They have put... See, you don't realize what's happening, preacher. What's happening is this. These people came to them. They didn't come to you. And see, this wolf likes that because they wanted to intercept your authority. They wanted to intercept your members. They wanted to create. And whenever you see them standing around the vestibule and people polarizing around them, buddy, you, you better get to praying. You better get to preaching because, because you got trouble coming. You got trouble. And by the way, in every wolf pack, there's what they see. I did a study on wolves. In every wolf pack, there is an alpha male. And an alpha female, the word alpha means first. And there'll be, there could be 15 or 20 uh, wolves in a pack. They travel at night. When the sun gets up, they lay down to sleep, but they're nocturnal. They travel at night. And they studied them with these infrared cameras at night. And you'll see a big old dog wolf out front. He'll be going along. And right behind him, right behind him, is a little old female wolf about half his size. By the way, I've got a picture at home of a wolf that was killed near Drayton, Alberta, Canada. That wolf weighed 235 pounds. You ought to see him. It's amazing. Honey, if you remind me, I'll look it up and we'll start carrying that so people can see it. But commonly, these big old timber wolves will go 180 pounds, 150 to 80 pounds. We're talking about big boys. And right behind this big old dog wolf out there trotting along is a little old female about half his size. And when you see that, you'll say, oh, isn't that sweet? She's letting him lead. She's letting him be the leader. But they that have studied wolves found the strangest phenomenon. This big old wolf's trotting through the woods, a little, his little mate's right behind him. And then on behind them is a whole string of other wolves. And as he's trotting through, they'll come to, uh, you deer hunters would recognize, you women wouldn't see a thing, but you, you, you go in the woods and you'll see where a trail goes off this way. And, all of, and, and they noticed this big old dog wolf throwing his head to the right and to the left, like he's looking for something to come from behind him. Keeps throwing his head to the right or left. And all of a sudden, as he's trotting along, she will decide, without warning, to go down this trail. So she just breaks rank and she starts down this trail. He catches it out of his peripheral vision. 
When she does, he jumps over in front of her and takes her down that trail. In a little bit, they'll come to another trail, and a trail will go off this way, and she'll decide she wants to go this way, and she'll just break rank and stuff, and he'll jump over in front of her, and they found out something. You'll think it's that big old dog wolf leading the pack. It's not! It's that little old female that's leading the pack. Hey, man! Let me tell you something. I've been, I've been studying this thing for over half a century. Preacher, now you mark my word. You put this down, I'll, you put it in the fly leaf of your Bible, I'll sign it. Whenever you have trouble in a church, I don't care who's making all the noise. I don't care what man's up. Well, preacher, I don't know that we can agree with this. And I, I don't care who's, who's saying that. There's a woman behind it somewhere. Now you put it down. There's a woman behind it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know what I'm talking And it could be that sweet little thing. That would stand up on testimony. I'm just so glad there's a man of God in our home that we can follow. <laughs> I tell you what now, I know. Let me tell you something. God made every man in this room to be a king and rule somewhere. And when that man is ruling his home, not as a tyrant, but as a loving father and husband, saying, honey, this is the way God's leading us. And his little wife's right here under his arm, not to be crushed by him, but to fulfill that place God took her from, to be nurtured by him and loved by him. And she's just as content as she can be to be under the shelter of his care, love, and leadership. And she says, honey, if you feel that's the way God's leading us, let's go. I'm Count me in. And the children are coming around behind him. That man is a fulfilled man. He has no need to come down here and give you trouble in your church, preacher, none. He's a fool. Listen, you don't, he don't run your church and you don't run his home. You don't go down there and tell him what to do in his house. That's his domain and he's king. And you may come up here and preach and he'll have an opportunity to get on the altar like the rest of them. But friend, you don't run his kingdom and he don't run your kingdom and you're both happy to have it that way. And I'm just trying to tell you, um, God wants every man to rule in righteousness of his own home, of his own home. Yes. I hear another wolf howling somewhere. I believe I hear another one. Amen. Crank it up, boys. Amen. Yeah. I'm blowing the whistle on the wolf. Here's another. Hey, let me thank you. Here's another one. Here's another one right here. A wolf will not let the pastor pastor the church. He'll get in the way. He'll intercept. Look, I had a former assistant pastor, and he'd been very successful. He took another church, built a church to hundreds, and he came and was preaching in my church, he said the other night, I'm so glad I've got a church that will trust me to lead the church without hurting good people. He said the other night, I got up and he said, now folks, and this is a good-sized church. This church is big as this church or bigger. And he said, now folks, he said, uh, I'm going to do something a little irregular and unusual tonight. He said, I would like to, I would like to vote to dismiss missionary so-and-so from our support immediately. He said, now, he's in the States, so he won't starve, but I'd like to vote to drop him immediately, and I have not had a deacon's meeting about it either, and I'd like to vote to drop it. There came a deathly hush over the congregation because this missionary was a long-standing missionary, emulated by everybody. As a matter of fact, the young people looked up to him, and everybody, the people were shocked. He said, I'd like to see a move that we vote right now to drop this missionary immediately from our support. A deacon in the back raised his hand and stood up. He said, Pastor, if we're hearing you correctly, what you're saying is because of information you have that you'd rather not share here, you'd like to ask us as a church to drop this missionary 
from our support immediately. He said, yes, sir, you understood me correctly. He said, I make a motion. We do it. It was second. Unanimous vote. And then this preacher stood in my pulpit, and here's what he said. I'm so glad that my church let me take care of this problem without hurting good people. He said, I'm so glad they didn't force me to get up and tell the people that this missionary had been messing with his own little girls. He said, I'm so glad they didn't force me to hurt those little children more than they had already been hurt. I'm so glad they didn't cause me to have to drag their name out so they're going to have a hard enough time as it is as they grow through life having to face all they face. And that sweet and wonderful and godly wife who's already so broken she can't breathe. I'm so glad, he said, they didn't make me humiliate that woman and drag her out in the public. I'm glad I had a church that would trust me to make some decisions. Let the pastor pastor the church. Little girl, little girl got expecting in a church like this. Little teenage girl, 15, I think it was. Rhonda was 15, what did I say, 15 or 16? 15 years old, got expecting out of a prominent family. And all the parents came, Pastor, what are we going to do? The girl was in the Christian school. Pastor, what are we going to do? The mother and daddy, we're afraid she's going to have an abortion. Can you help us? He said, I'll do what I can. I'll try to get to her. Well, he tried to get to her, but she is avoiding him like the plague for obvious reasons, you know. And uh, finally, he, he was trying to see if he could catch her. And all of a sudden, along came Miss Wigglejohn. Pastor, have you heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. I mean, have you heard about little so-and-so? Yes, ma'am. I've heard. Uh, Pastor, uh, what are we going to do about it? Well, he said, I'm trying to do something about it now. What, what I'm trying to do right now is catch up with her. What we'd like to do is see the little thing get right with God. That's what we'd like to do. And we'd like to see if we could maybe find a place to put this little baby. Uh, what we'd like to do, what we'd like to do is restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. That's what we'd like to do. No, I don't mean that, Pastor. When are we going to church her? He said, well, Mrs. Jones, we'd like to help the girl if we could. Now, preacher, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. Little girl running around here, great with child, prominent family in the church, right out of the Christian school, nobody doing anything about it. Where's church discipline? I don't think it's right. I don't think. Boy, she went out, and man, she got the women together, and and she was having herself a real time until somebody leaned over and informed her that the father to the baby was her son. Suddenly, she had a change of attitude. And I'm about to give you the best advice I've given you all night. And it's this right here. You be careful how hard you are on other people's children. Did you hear what I just said? But pastor, my child would never do anything like that. I have a question to ask you. Are you a total idiot in any other department or just that one department right there? <laughs> Given opportunity, your child do about any other rotten thing and any other child do given the opportunity. And I'll tell you what you better do. If some, somebody in this building, their child goes astray or has trouble, you ladies get to that woman and get your arms around her and cry with her and love her and tell her she's a sweet Christian and she don't deserve to have that. And you men go to the men and hug them and tell them you love them and count you in as their friend, and you're going to stand with them till they get this thing settled. Hey! I done give you some good advice now. I've given you the best advice probably you've had all night long. Hey! Uh, yeah. Yeah.
They won't let the pastor pass you. Hey, true story. A youth director came to the pastor. He's going over the list of youth activities for the next two months. Now he said, on this Saturday, we're going to go horseback riding. And on this Saturday, we're going to go mountain climbing. Pastor's nodding his head. And on this Saturday, uh, we're going to go swimming. And we're going over to Brother So-and-so's house. And the pastor, oh, 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 oh. he said, um, why don't you go play softball on that Saturday instead of going over swimming? By the way, learn to catch your pastor's eye. And the little youth director looked up and said, um, Pastor, it's Brother So-and-so. He sings in the choir. He got that big, beautiful mansion of a house and that Olympic-sized pool. And he said, there's an eight-foot privacy fence. The girls are going to be swimming in the morning, and the boys are going to be swimming in the afternoon. And even the guy that owns the place is not going to be on the property when the girls are over there. He'll be over there when the boys are, but he won't be over there when the girls are. And the pastor said, well, you know, that's the kind of standards I expected you to have as a youth director. And that's wonderful. But I still think maybe it'd be a good idea to uh, ride horses or play some softball, uh, 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 you know, on that Saturday. The youth director said, okay. Dropped his head. They had already gone too far. And he made the fatal mistake. He shared that with his closest friend in the church. And he said to his friend, man, I'm for standards. And I'm for convictions. But for the life of me, I cannot see what would be so wrong with going over there and taking the girls. The, the ladies at the church are going to be the lifeguards and letting the girls have a good time swim. And then four hours later, bring the boys in and let them. I just can't. And his friend said, that is strange, isn't it? And then his friend shared it with his closest friend. And it wasn't long. So here's what you were hearing in the church. Well, I'll tell you right now. We're for standards, but we're just going a little too far around here in this standards thing. You see, what they didn't know was that even though the guy sang in the choir, he was a sodomite. It had nothing to do with the girls. It had everything to do with the boys. He was going to be there and watch those boys parade around their little swim trunks and lust after them, maybe later molest them or kill them. Only God knows what. The pastor knew it. But he wasn't ready to move on. When you get up and accuse somebody in your choir of being a sodomite, you better know what you're talking about. I mean, you, you better do your homework. And the pastor was doing his homework. He wasn't going to let it go. He wasn't going to let it continue. But pastor was doing his homework, and he was getting ready to move on him, but he wasn't ready yet. All he needed was a youth director to be loyal to him. All he needed, let me tell you something, don't you ever go on vacation and get somebody else to teach your class unless you check with the pastor or somebody he's put in charge of that. Don't you ever, well, this is a wonderful Christian. They may be, but the pastor knows things about people you'll never know in a hundred years. He may know they're not ready for a class. They're not ready for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, let, and by the way, that church split right down the middle, and a crowd of people left that good pastor who was doing nothing but trying to protect their little boys, some as young as 12 and 13 years old, from a pervert. Let the pastor pastor the church. You never went to a basketball game in your life where your little boy was playing, but what at some time during that game, that ref made one dumb call against your boy. Say amen right there. And you know it was a dumb call because you were sitting way up in the, in the stands looking down at the game as it went by. You had a good bird's eye view. You, you saw more than the ref who's standing two foot, feet from it. You know, you had, and, uh, and, and uh, hey, ref, did you see what that kid did to my boy? Hey, Ralph, I'm going to come down there and clean your clock. Hey, Ralph, I'm going to tell you where you mess up. You mess up when you come down out of the stands and decide you're going to do something about it. Right there's where you meet your Waterloo. I've got a son that does some, some professional wrestling. 
some professional refing. <laughs> you know I wouldn't have a boy big enough to wrestle. <laughs> he does some professional refing. And my son told me, he said, Dad, there's not a referee on any level from the, from the pros all the way down. He said, there's not a ref in the world that doesn't make a bad call now. And he said, everyone, I'm going to look you in the eye and tell them, tell you that they make a bad And there's never been a preacher on planet Earth that won't make a mistake. There's never been a preacher on planet Earth that won't make a bad call. So if, you don't, if you're not going to go to a basketball game because you're afraid the ref's going to make a bad call, you better stay home because it's going to happen at some point in that game. But if you get a bad call in this quarter, you'll get a good call in the next quarter. Say amen right there. Let the man of God be the man of God. I hear wolves howling all over this place. I hear wolves howling right now. Somebody is going to blow the whistle on the wolf. Blow the whistle on the wolf. Let the pastor good night. Let him, thank you, my brother. Let him, let him be the ref. Let him be the ref. Oh, yeah. Let, let me tell you something. I had never pastored a church. Had you ever pastored a church before you got here? Never pastored a church. And how long have you been here, pastor? How long have you been here total? 17 years. How old were you when you came here? Just turned 20. I was 27 years old, and I became pastor the first time in my life of the Marion Avenue Baptist Church. I look back at some of the dingy things I did. It scares me even. I mean, listen, I was telling your people here, what was it, Thursday uh, or yesterday morning, good night, I had some wild ideas. I said, hey, we're going to have a live animal Christmas play, live animal. We're going to put a full-size cow on the stage, 1,200-pounder. We're going to have Mary riding a big mule right down the aisle. We're going to have sheep in the shepherd scene. We're going to have... We're going to have goats and sheep and dogs and cats, and we still do it, and the chickens are flying over everybody's head, right in a big old ornate Presbyterian-style building with $100,000 worth of stained glass all on the platform. And I said, we're going to do it. My people looked at me like I'd lost my ever-loving mind, and I probably had. I probably had. And we had that first live animal Christmas play. We'd only been rolling a few months. 501 people came to see that thing, and nearly 100 people got saved. And I'm telling you, this is in our 45th year of that play. Last time we had the play, not counting the hundreds of members, not counting 300 people in the cast, over 5,000 visitors came in seven showings to see in one week to see that live animal Christmas play, and nearly 400 of them got saved. Brother, let me tell you something. As long as that man right there don't cross that King James Bible, as long as he don't start drinking something that's forbidden by Scripture, as long as he don't trade his wife in on a 20-year-old somewhere, as long as he don't start speaking in some language that he never learned, you say, live, die, sink, swim, get fat or die skinny. We're going to stay with the man of God. Going to stay with the man of God. He ain't, you're, you're entering a building program. I tell you what, if we passed out, this would be dumb too, but if you passed out, Little sheet says, what do you think is the best thing to do with a building? What kind of a building? You know, you know how many plans of buildings you would have? About as many plans as you have people sitting in this auditorium right here. We all don't see things alike, but somebody's got to be the leader. And he'll consult with good men. He's, they don't fly off the handle. He, he consults with good men. Well, you better thank God I'm not your pastor. We had a 28-foot ceiling. I cut a hole in the ceiling and brought a flying angel right down through the ceiling. Oh, Yeah. An older couple sitting there, never seen it before. They saw that angel come down, and he says, Gertrude, I'm having another one of those things. Yeah. Brother, let me tell you something. We, I, I rented a camel. 
We still have a camel in the play, full-size camel right down the aisle. I rented a camel. Had a woman bring it in. I owned him there in the aisle. I didn't know there was any camels in there. And, and brought him in. And, and I'm practicing the play a night or two before the play. And I look out the window and they're unloading that crazy thing. They didn't tell me it was a wild animal. I thought it was some kind of train thing. They unloaded it. I had four of my big men. And the thing's head was going up near as high as that ceiling. They were riding him like this all over. I said, hold on. Don't let him get loose. In a little bit, they paraded him in. He's standing up there chewing like this. One of my ladies, Donna Wilson, said, preacher, you know what he's getting ready to do? I said, no, and I don't want to ask. Listen, I did some of the wildest of my people. Some of them old enough to be my daddy or granddaddy. My people said, we're going to watch him and we're going to give him a chance. We're going to give him a chance. And until he crosses that Bible or does something ungodly or immoral or undoctrinal, we're going to let him be our pastor and we're going to let him lead us. And I'm going to tell you, we had, we've had, we had over 5,000 visitors in one week for the last play. We've had over 1,000, 2,000, many, many times, not just in the play, but at other times, out in the middle of nowhere in a town of 6,500 with 13,000 in our entire county. And I'm telling you, they come from Missouri, Illinois. They come from uh, Minnesota. They come from Nebraska. They come from everywhere. It's unthinkable what's happening in the cornfield because, not because I'm a great preacher, but because they gave me a chance. They gave me a chance. Let the man of God have a chance to be your pastor. And you're, quite frankly, so far, you're doing real good at it. From all I can gather, you're doing real good at it. Let the pastor pastor the church. Let the pastor pastor the church. I hear another wolf howling somewhere right now. Oh, yes. Hey, you know what we're doing, don't you? Blowing the whistle on the wolf. Thank you, my brother. Here's another one. Wolves live dangerous lives. Wolves live dangerous lives. A lot of wolves get killed by shepherds. Yeah. Acts 20, verse 9, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Proverbs 6, 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And one of those is he that soweth discord among the brethren. Folks, if you had any idea of things I've seen that happened to wolves, it would scare you to death. I had a man whose picture was commonly in the sword of the Lord. I mean, commonly in the sword in his sermons published, built a church to hundreds and hundreds of people, but he didn't have any education. That wasn't my pastor. My pastor only had a seventh grade education, built a church to 3,000, independent Baptist church. But this other man had no education at all, and he hired a fellow that had a little, and he got headstrong. And he turned on the pastor, and this pastor sat in Hardy's restaurant in my town and said, Brother Brown, he turned on me. He would go to his Sunday school class and take excerpts out of my sermon, take them out of context, and make them mean what I never meant and never said, and play them to his class to stir up his class against me. Now, listen to this. He said from one year from the time he started doing that, I think it was 20, forget how many in his class, he said, uh, see, it was 23. 21 of the 23 were dead. I said, dead? He said, dead. I said, what happened to him? He said, Brother Brown, the strangest thing, that, some of them died in car wrecks, some of them died with heart attacks, some of them died with cancer, some of them fell under farm machinery and it got ground up. Some of them died, they never did figure out how they died. It got so obvious that the, the community and the church accused me of putting a hex on them some way. 
He said, I didn't want any of those people to die. I loved those people. They were my people. They crossed the line. They crossed the line. Wolves live dangerous lives. They live dangerous lives. I had a preacher friend running 3,000 in his church. You'd know the name if I called it. It's a picture commonly in the sword of the Lord. He was running 3,000. It was down south. And he got it before his men. He said, fellas, look. He said, uh, I don't know what you do in your house, and I don't have any say-so over it. But I'm up preaching purity for my young people, and you're standing out on the front porch smoking cigarettes when the service is over. He said, could I ask you not to do that? That's what he said in deacon's meeting. The next Sunday morning, he baptized, I don't know how many, it was a big church, went out the side door like this and ran around the front to greet the people as they came out. That was his quickest way to get there. And so when he ran down the side of the church, came up on the porch, there stood a deacon. He walked up to him gently and said, Brother, you, you heard what I just said to the deacons. I'm going to have 700 teenagers walk out of that door here right away and see a deacon standing on the front porch smoking a cigarette, a deacon, after I have preached to them to keep their bodies pure and some things they shouldn't do. He said, Preacher, let me tell you something. Stuck his finger at him. He said, I was here before you came, and I'll be here after you leave, most likely. And I will smoke where I please, when I please. And this pastor said, I looked at him and said, well, I guess I'll just have to take it to God, won't I? And this deacon said, yeah, preacher, I guess you will. He was faithful to church. That was on Sunday morning. He was back on Sunday night. He'd been deacon in that church for years. But he lifted up his hand against God's anointed. The pastor went home that night, went to sleep, and at 1.30 in the morning, he got a telephone call, and it was this deacon's wife, and she was screaming, and here's what she was saying. He's dead! He's dead! Preacher, he's dead! He said, what in the world happened? Well, he drove a truck, so he would leave the church with his truck and drive part of the night to get to his destination, get in the motel room, sleep three or four hours, then he'd get up and go on. She said, they don't know for sure. They know that he was smoking in bed. They think that the cigarette ignited something in the pillow. And it actually didn't turn into a flame, but he suffocated on smoke. He's dead, preacher. He that smoked where he pleased, when he pleased, was suddenly smoking more and enjoying it less. And I'm telling you something, friend. We're talking about, I had another preacher friend, and he had a man turn on him and got angry. And this preacher, I'd call his name, but I don't know who's I'm talking about. He was holding a meeting, and his wife called and said, Carl! Brother so-and-so got mad at you and turned on you over what you preached and said he was so mad he came to, they lived out in the country, said he drove down past the parsonage a while ago, rolled his window down and cursed you. Carl said, well, honey, don't let it upset you. We know he's upset. We know he's wrong. She said, Carl, that's not what I called to tell you. Carl, as soon as he cussed us, he was moving pretty fast. He didn't make the curve down here. And it's bad, Carl. He, he, he hit the tree. Carl said, well, how bad is it? She was sobbing. She said, preacher, a member who stopped and saw it came up here and said, they can't find his head. He crossed the line. He crossed the line. He crossed the line. I heard this story. I called the preacher because sometimes these things get pretty spectacular, and I wanted to get the straight of it. I called this preacher. He said, I was up preaching on a Sunday night, and I was talking about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, I, I took a coffee can, and, and I, I, I took this coffee can, and I had a bunch of cigarette ashes and cigarette butts in it. 
And this was down south where everybody smoked, you know, tobacco country. And he said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And he said he took that coffee can and slammed it down and it dumped cigarette ashes and cigarette butts down for about eight feet. He said, you shriek in horror because I pollute the sanctuary of God. He said, this is not the sanctuary of God. Your body is the sanctuary of God. And you suck 19 different poisons down your esophagus every time you take a drag on one of those cancer sticks and then come in here and want to accuse me of polluting the sanctuary. And about that time, a deacon stood up. He said, preacher, I'd like to say a word. And I called this preacher. He's telling me this in person. He said, it just blew me away. He said, I smoke. These people know I smoke. I smoke because I don't see anything wrong with it. If I saw something wrong with it, I'd quit. And until I see something wrong with it, I'm not going to quit. And I want you to know that. And I want this church to know that. And he sat down. He was deacon in the church. I said, what did you do? He said, Brother Brown, I have never had anything hit me like that. He said, I tried to recover the service, but you're a pastor. You know, it's over. And he said, I just finally rounded it out. said, I slipped out the side door of my family and went home and said, I I didn't get mad. Oh, I was so grieved. He said, I couldn't sleep. I'm walking the floor. He said, finally, I laid down and went to sleep. Early the next morning, he got a call from that man's wife. And here's what she said. My husband said he wants you to come to the hospital and see him, and he wants you to bring a tape recorder. And he said, what's he doing in the hospital? She said, he'll explain it when you get there. He had an asthma attack. It was pretty serious when he went in. And this pastor said, in just a few minutes, I walked to the hospital room. He was laying there with oxygen on like this. He pulled it down and said, preacher, I want you to get that tape recorder going. I want to record this testimony. Last night, when I stood up, And I pointed my finger at you, and I rebuked you for preaching what God told you to preach. When I sat down, the Holy Spirit of God said, you just signed your death warrant. And he said, I'm going to be dead here in a few minutes. He said, no, no, brother, no, 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 you're you're sorry for it. You confessed it. And by the way, you didn't make me mad. But boy, you tore up a good service, that's for sure. He said, you didn't make me mad, and I'm not angry at you. And you confessed, and and it's going to be, he said, no, it's not going to be okay. I signed my death warrant. I'm going to be dead here in a few minutes. He said, I tried to talk him out of it, and then I had prayer with him. said, I left the room. Are you listening to this? He said, I walked down the hall, and I saw his doctor. He knew the doctor, and he, said, and he told the doctor what the man had just said. And the doctor got angry. He said, look, you people can believe that junk if you want to. The man just had a little asthma attack. His oxygen level's coming up. He's much better. He's going to be. And about that time, the nurse ran out of the room. Doctor, doctor, please come quick, doctor. And the doctor and this pastor ran down and walked in together, and he had already turned blue, and he was laying there going, <laughs> and he's dead in five minutes. And they played his, te- and he, he recorded that testimony. On tape, they played it at his funeral. His grown son got saved, and a lot of other amazing things happened. And the family said they wanted preachers to tell it across America. And I'm telling you, and and they said it's okay to call his name, but I just can't feel led to call his name. You never know how many related family members would not appreciate me calling his name, so I don't do it. I don't want to hurt good people. I don't want to hurt good people, but I'm going to tell you what, he crossed a line. Wolves live dangerous lives. Let me tell you something, friend. I had an assistant pastor call me from another state that had been my assistant. Now he's pastor in the church. He said, preacher, I had to call you. I got another illustration for your wolf sermon. I said, tell me about it. He said, I had a fellow in my church, a prominent member in my church, that 
was in a terrible car wreck, and they're laying over here in the hospital, semi-conscious now, in intensive care. And he said, um, he said, I went to see him and said, when I walked in the room, that's another state from my state. I walked in the room, they're laying there like this, staring up, and they're saying, Brother Brown, Brother Brown. He said, I didn't know he knew who you were. said, I walked up and says, you mean Brother Larry Brown? Yeah. What had happened? He'd been on vacation, and he attended Clarence Sexton's church, um, Powell, Tennessee, Temple Baptist Church, Crown College. And I was preaching a meeting down there. And he was there in the service, and I preached this sermon in Clarence Sexton's church. And when I preached this, he didn't like it. He had wolf blood, and he didn't like it. And he got upset over it. And now he's laying in intensive care. And here's what he said, Brother Brown, Brother Brown. And then he got a wild look in his eye and he said, the wolves, the wolves, the wolves. Then he said, oh, Brother Brown sure knows how to get his point across. And let me tell you something. This man up here is no different than any other man in this room. He battles with his own temptations. He battles with his own problems. He has to get up every morning and put his breeches on like any other man in this room, and he is not perfect. And if you don't believe he's not perfect, you ask that woman sitting right back there, and she will inform you that he is not perfect. Say amen right there. But because of his position, and because he's pastor of this church, and because God put him in, and because he's a godly man and a good man, and because he's trying to move forward to get people saved and build a church, you better keep your mouth off of him, bud. You better keep your mouth off of him. I don't like what he does. Well, you go somewhere and find a preacher and you do like what he does. And if you can't enjoy and follow the ministry of this good man, you get on the altar tonight or get yourself out of here. They never passed a law. You've got to go to this church anyway. If you don't like it, go somewhere where you do. Amen. Amen and amen and some more amens. Let me tell you something, friend. Thank God for the man of God, and you better watch what you're doing. You better watch what you're doing. It's a dangerous thing to come against the man of God. It's a dangerous thing. I'm, try- I'm helping you now. I'm warning you. I'm not threatening you. I'm warning you. You better do it. 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 I could tell you, I- I've got Rhonda knows. I've got a half dozen of stories just like that, and I can keep rolling out. But suffice it to say, by the way, one last thing I got to put in, preacher, and this is for you, others can listen. I had a preacher friend that went to a wolf park. The entire park was wolves. And when he walked in, he stepped through the entrance to the gate, he asked for the proprietor. He came and he said, uh, I'd like to speak to the head honcho here. They said, what's your problem? He said, well, I just want to talk to him. And so... Here came the big man over the wolf park. He said, sir, you got a problem? He said, no, I have a need. He said, what's your need? He said, I wonder if I could see Mickey. The head honcho looked him up and down and said, what do you know about Mickey? He said, I know Mickey was a wolf. He killed a little boy. That's what I know. He looked him up and down and said, come on. He said, I'm a Baptist preacher. I want to see Mickey. He said, come on, I'll show you Mickey. This preacher said, I could have walked over that park by myself with nobody telling me among scores of wolves, and I could have took my finger and pointed to the wolf that killed that little boy. It was in his eyes. He had tasted human blood. It was in his eyes. There was something different about him. Now, let me tell you something, preacher. If you have a wolf turn on you or bite you or give you trouble, and they want to stay, and they're repentant about it, you love them, you forgive them, you might use them in some areas, but don't ever put one on your deacon board. If you ever get bit, don't turn your back on them. If they've ever tasted preacher blood, look, I know something. 
I'm not a smarty pants, but I know a few things. You don't pastor, you don't preach 58 years without learning a few things accidentally. And I'm telling you something now, don't ever put him over adults. You might let him teach a little class or something in time, but don't ever put him in a position where if he turned on you, he'd hurt you now. I'm talking about, uh, the, uh, I'm talking about wolves. I'm listening to another wolf howl somewhere right now. Oh, yes. And you know what we're doing, don't you? You got it down by now. Blowing a whistle on the wolf. Hold it. Stop. Thank you. Here's another one. The best defense against a wolf attack. Hey, let me ask you a question. As far as I know, nobody in this room's ever heard this sermon. But if you have, don't answer. I'll ask somebody to answer who's never heard it. Up there where they raise sheep and they have the little lambs, in the spring of the year, they lamb. Lambs are born. Now, these wolves move in packs. And one of the big problems these sheep herders have is wolves stealing their sheep. Get them, kill them, they'll find them dead in the pasture, they'll eat part of them, leave the rest. But what they like to do is get those little lambs for a couple of reasons. They're a little more tender. Number two, they can get them and get over the fence. They can drag them bodily over the fence and get away with them. And they can't do that that quick with a, with a large sheep. What do you think? I know the answer. What do you think is the number one defense against uh, sheep herders trying to keeping these wolves from getting their sheep. What do you think? Tell, tell me what you, any answer will be a good answer. Go ahead, tell me. A what? High fence? Well, that's good, but it's so much area they can't get a fence high enough and enough fence to do it, but that's a good answer. Somebody else give me a good answer. Hey, what? who said it? You, you said he said it, he said you said it. Which one of you said it? Both said it. You both said it. You know what they said? A good sheep dog. And we ain't talking about a chihuahua either. <laughs> We're talking about an old boy. His mama was a hundred pound pit bulldog and never met his daddy, but he was from a bad neighborhood. We're talking about a dog. We're talking about an old boy about this wide across his chest. I mean, and he's got scars all over his chest. One ear's been torn off. His lips have been ripped out where he got in a fight with, with six wolves one night. He killed three of them, crippled two of them, and ran the other one off. I'm talking about a dog. He's a little lame where they've attacked him by the wolf pack, but he came out on top every time. And every time he takes a step, he's like, She'll have nightmares tonight, sure as well. I'm talking about a dog. Yeah, every sheep herder needs a good wolf dog. And every pastor needs a good wolf dog. Amen. Amen. Dick Seaton preached in my church. And Dick Seaton went to California and built a church to 1,500. He said, we were on a roll. And he said, I got this old boy saved. He is six foot four. I mean, he was built like Hulk Hogan. I mean, a huge guy, big guy, but dumb as a box of rocks. And he said, this old boy got saved. And he said, man, I want to get in on everything. And he said, let's go soul winning. He said, soul winning? He said, soul winning. And he said, I took him out. I don't know if they want anybody to God that night or not. But on the way back to the church, his pastor happened to think about a member he hadn't seen in three weeks. He was a faithful member but he hadn't seen it. And they rung the doorbell. And this guy came to the door. And he said, as soon as he opened the door, I look in his face and I tell him, oh boy, we got trouble. And he said, brother, I've been missing you. I thought we'd just come by and see you. He said, come in. Like that. Said, we walked in and said, we sat down. And I sat down here. And over to my right was this church member. And to my left was my new convert. And he said, I tried to make conversation. Didn't go well. Finally, I just broke down and said, look, we've been missing you. Have you been sick? No, sir. 
Uh, he said, uh, uh, has some of your family been sick? No, sir. He said, well, is there some problem? He said, yes, there is, preacher. And I'm going to tell you what it was. And he stuck his finger in the preacher's face. And I don't know what his issue was. It didn't matter. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. And he was chewing him out. And this uh, Brother Seaton said, I was so interested in what his grievance was. I, I forgot all about my young convert till I felt the floor shake. I forgot all about my young convert till I felt this puff of wind go by. And so before I could think what was going on, this big young convert of mine had this little shrimp around the neck and he was beating his head against the floor saying, don't you ever, don't you ever, as long as you live, put your finger in my preacher's face again. Don't you ever. And he won't either. <laughs> as a matter of fact, at last report, he hadn't even had a negative thought about him. Oh, no. No, he, he had sweet attitudes about him. Oh, yes. Yeah. He'll tell you what I said when you can't understand all that. <laughs> amen. Yes. Amen. Hey, every shepherd needs a good wolf dog. I'll tell you what. Now, I'm not for going to my, I had a preacher friend. He was holding a meeting. You'd know his name. He was holding a meeting. He's in heaven now, this older man. But he's holding a meeting in a preacher's church. And this preacher said, well, brother, you sure picked a juicy time to hold a revival for me. He said, what's the problem? He said, I've got a little assistant pastor. Word has it he's going to get up tonight and, and introduce some things and try to vote me out and give me trouble. And he don't have a leg to stand on, but he's got his little group. And uh, boy, I don't know what's going to happen. And this old priest said, well, here's the way he talks. He said, well, uh, we'll just see how the service comes out. Don't worry about it. Well, the song service going on. Here they all stand on the platform. Here's the evangelist. And here's, a, here's this little shrimp standing to his right. And here over to the left's a pastor and another staff member, pretty good sized church. And while the song was going on, watch this, now watch it, this, uh, this, this preacher just walked over and went like this. <clears throat> this fellow said, what's that? He said, that's a live 45. You open your mouth about that preacher, I'll blow your gut slam out the front of your stomach. Do you understand me, son? <laughs> he said, yes, sir. That's one of the sweetest, quietest services you've ever seen in your life. Now listen, stop right here. Everybody stop. Do me a favor. Do the church a favor. Do the pastor a favor. Don't go around pulling guns on people in the church. <laughs> don't, don't go around beating people's heads against the floor. Because if you do, you're going to get the pastor's picture in the paper. And you're going to get my picture in the paper. And before it's over, we might get your picture in the paper. Don't do that. But I tell you what, you get somebody running around. And they're running around. And I tell you what they're doing. They're bad-mouthing your preacher. You know what you ought to do? You ought to get you four men about the size of that one right there. <laughs> and about the size of this old boy sitting on the corner back here with that black vest on. That'd be a good size right there. And maybe one or two of these over here. You ought to get you four men about that size. And next Sunday morning when he walks out of here, you ought to just get around him and say, it has come to our attention. <laughs> That you're unhappy with our pastor and you've been saying negative things. Oh, no, I, yes, you have to. We've done our homework. We know what you've been saying. Now, we've got some good advice for you. Get happy or get moving. We don't appreciate people running our preacher down. I believe in being loyal. Let me tell you something. You come up here and start running your lip about that woman right there. You're going to run into trouble, boy. I believe in loyalty. Be loyal to the man of God. Be loyal to the man of God. If you wouldn't fight for your preacher, you don't deserve your preacher. Amen. Let me tell you something, friend. I, I go all over this country. Good preachers are hard to find. They're just hard to find. The best defense against wolves 
is a good wolf dog. Unruly and vain talkers and deceivers whose mouths must be stopped, subverting whole houses, teaching things that they should not. And by the way, preacher, when the wolf comes in to tear up your church and get your little lambs, do you know the best thing that wolf can see? About four big wolf hides nailed to the side of the barn. <laughs> Amen. Just about four big wolf hides nailed to the I mean, hey, I wouldn't just sit by. Uh, listen, hey, rise up, old man of God, rise up. I like what one preacher said. He had a big church and this, some people giving him trouble. And a deacon came in and said, Pastor, I just came in to inform you that I believe your work is finished here. And this pastor looked up and said, you know, I thought it was too, but I see a new work just began. Amen. I mean, listen. Yeah, about four big wolf hides nailed to the wall. The best way to survive a wolf attack. What's the best way to survive a wolf? There's people, are you listening to this? There's people in this room right now who will not even be in church five years from now because of something you hear or something somebody says. I know this. I know this that after my departing shall grievous. Listen, I had a pastor's wife. I preached this, and a pastor's wife came up to me, sweetest lady in the world, mid-40-ish, and she said this. She said, Brother Brown, we invested our life in some people, won them to God, helped them through their marriage problems, were there when their babies were born, married their young in the church, gave our hearts and lives to them, and then a little trouble came up, and they knifed us in the back and turned and walked away from us. And she said, I wasn't angry then nor am I angry now. And she said, I don't think I was bitter then, and I'm not bitter now. But she said, Pastor, it has done something to me I can't get over. She said, I I can't get over it. She said, I'm so crushed. She said, I can't get that spark back. I, I can't get that something back that I used to have and I want it back. Honest, I do, and I want to get up, and I, I want to get up and go on, but I can't. I'm speaking to people all over this room. You're going to come under a wolf attack. Now, let me say something else to you. And you hear me and hear me well. If you ain't got enough guts to go to that man, if you got a complaint and you don't have enough guts to go to that man, get him to explain to you what's going on. Don't you be such a yellow-bellied, chicken-livered coward that you hit that woman right there. Did you hear me? Yeah. You coward. <laughs> My blood pressure's going up. If you ain't got enough guts to tell him what you want to tell him, you leave that woman alone right there. You leave her alone. And I'll tell you some good advice. If somebody comes and says, well, I wonder, some woman, I wonder why the pastor's doing this. And I wonder, you just do what one woman did. You grab him by the arm and say, honey, I don't even know myself why he does things. Come on, let's go ask him. Take her right down. Honey, she wants to ask you a question. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. Oh, yeah. Hey, I hear another wolf howling somewhere. I believe we got one tree, don't you? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Hey, you don't know this, but where they raise buffalo in the north, they still raise ranch buffalo. They keep a pen of about six wolves in a cage. And from time to time, they pull the pen and turn those wolves loose on the buffalo. And when they do, those buffalo run. But when they run, there's about one left, and it's heads down, and these wolves are trotting round and round that one wolf, that one buffalo. And you know what those buffalo herders do then? They go out and chase those wolves back in their pen, and then they pull that buffalo in and start shooting it with antibiotic because they know the buffalo's sick, 
Do you know how they know it? The wolves told them. Wolves prey on the weak. Be bad enough if they attacked some of your good men like that man right there, but they won't do that. They'll go to your little lambs, your weak ones, your new converts, your little, and they'll start yapping and yapping and yapping. Oh, yeah. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you this, and I'll give you my summation and we're done. Up yonder where those old mountain sheep live, I've never seen them. But then, these, you know, uh, near um, Yosemite, uh, we've been through Glacier twice. Those old mountain sheep, they say you can study them with binoculars and they'll go around the mountain. Sometimes in the Rockies, they're walking little, uh, little ledges no wider than that. And sometimes 80 to 100 feet off the cliff. Watch it now. Watch it. Don't miss it. I'm, I'm circling the field. Watch it. And so what they're doing is they're making their way higher. And you don't know why till you discover that on down about 75 yards is at least two, sometimes three wolves. And they're tracking these mountain sheep. And they're tracking them because they know every mountain's got a top. And they know when they get to the top, they're going to enjoy some sheep chops. But what they don't know is that the higher those wolves go, the thinner that air gets. And the thinner that air gets, the harder it is for those wolves to breathe. But the thinner that air gets, the better those old mountain sheep like it. They love it. Their lungs are acclimated to it. So if you could understand wolf language, you're watching them with your binocular, their tongues are hanging out that long, water's dropping off their tongues. And, and you hear the lead, you hear the lead wolf say, hey, Frank. And Frank's behind him, he said, yeah, Joe. He said, it's kind of hard to breathe up here, don't you think? He said, yeah, yeah I was just thinking the same thing. He said, hey, Frank. He said, yeah. He said, you know, I was just thinking, it's a long ways to stop at this mountain yet. Those crazy sheep. It don't seem to be bothering them at all. And Joe says, yeah, Frank, that's exactly what I was thinking. He said, hey, Frank. He said, you know, I was just thinking, boy, a good old jackrabbit tastes about as good right now, don't you think? <laughs> he said, yeah, Joe, I was thinking the same thing. He said, let's go down and get us a jackrabbit. And they come down. And, they, you know, those sheep know it. That's what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And the only thing that's going to make you a survivor of a wolf attack is this. Just go higher. Just go higher. Just pressing on my upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as a homeward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Now listen, I know what some of you don't know, and it's this. You're sitting on a gold mine here. Everything rises and falls on leadership, and you've got the right leader. And he's got the right family. And you've got the right leader. And I know what you don't know. If he has a heart attack tonight and dies, and you call me tomorrow and say, Preacher, we're going to need another pastor, I don't have any suggestions for you. <coughs> I know preachers, and I saw some more preachers, but where you can get a man of that age with that kind of vision and that kind of heart that's excited as he is and trying to move this church now into a building program, which you need desperately, you need desperately, this place is packed out. You better take care of him. You be- Let me tell you something. You know what my church did? When I bought a house, or when, when the church bought a house, they entered into a contract with me to buy it back over a period of years and then gave me the money to make the payment with. It became a part of my salary package. So if I wanted the house, I could stay enough years, I could have the house. Really, what you can do is just kind of nail him down. 
and just kind of cue him in, just kind of glue him in here. I'm going to tell you what, if I had a preacher like that, I wouldn't let nobody have him. I, I wouldn't let him get away. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. He's prime. He's prime age. He's prime. And I wouldn't do it. No, sir. And I tell you what I'd do if I was you. I'd, I'd, I'd enter into some contract so he'd end up and have a house or do something. I've come out of the motel tonight, and there was a bunch of ball players acting like a bunch of idiots. Some of them got drunk last night, and I never heard such a racket. But there sat two vans, beautiful 15-passenger, high-style vans. You know what you ought to do? Buy them for the church, use them on Sunday, and give the, license, uh, give the pastor and his family full license to use it anytime he wants to, anytime they would leave town or any, even around town. Look, how many children you got now? Four? Yeah, there's six of them now. And you, you buy a van and make, do everything, and do everything. I haven't asked him what all you're doing, and I'm sure you love him to death and doing the right thing. But I'm just simply saying, Lord said, I'll give you pastors according to my own heart. God sure must have loved this church. God sure must have loved you. Love him. Love his wife. Have a pastor's wife appreciation day every year of your life. You women get together and have a party and do things for her and give her things. Oh, yeah. Send them on free vacation. Listen, he's never been to Palestine, uh, never been to Israel. Send him to Israel. Pay him to go. It's, uh, he may not can do that with his children the ages they are now. He may have to wait a while. On it. But I'm just simply saying, send him on a vacation somewhere. Pay for it. You're not going to spoil your pastor too much. Well, I'm afraid he'll get too much money. You're not right with God. You can trust him with your marriage. You can trust him with your babies. You can trust him to keep your family out of hell. And you can't trust him to give him a raise. And so you have a... Look, you set up on Saturday night trying to figure out how you're going to make your bills work. But don't let him do it. You let him be figuring how he can have a sermon to bless your heart and to get people saved. That's what you need to do. Amen! Amen. Well, every sermon I'm coming on. I just <laughs> feel real good about it right now. I better quit preaching. Man, I got, I tell you, who said that? You said that? Good. I'm taking you with me. Wherever I go, you're, you're but, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's always people like that. Honest, if I preach till 1130, it's a, come on, preacher. I like that. I like that. Now, you're not used to staying this late, but what I've been doing and what you've been doing for the last 45 minutes is at least as good as what you're going to see on that stupid television when you go home. Amen. Yes! Well, what about it? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. I wonder how many folks... Now look, folks, I don't usually preach this long. I don't usually preach this long. How many folks are here and you'd say, Brother Brown, down through this message, God spoke to my heart. And Pastor Brown, I'm going to tell you something. I have unthinkingly said things sometimes that I shouldn't have said about things happening around the church here. I have unthinkingly listened to things that bordered on critical. Pastor, I have unthinkingly questioned decisions made by the church, the pastor, and I meant no harm, and I don't want to pull a curse down on my family. Pastor, I meant no harm. Would you pray for me? But I'm guilty. I've, I've listened to things, and I've said things I shouldn't have said. I meant no harm. Honestly, I, I, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. And I want you to pray for me. Boy, that's a good attitude. How many hear you say, I have, and I want you to pray for me? Get your hands up. Hold it up. Hold it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
take your hands down. Now, how many are here and you'd say, well, Pastor, far as I know, I've never said or listened to criticism without rebuking it, but I, I'll tell you this right now, I do know that we've got a wonderful pastor. I do know that he's leading this church in the right way. I do know that he's got the right burden. I do know we need this building. I do know that we need to take care of the man of God. I do know that. And pastor, I want you to know, and I want our pastor to know that he can count me in. I mean, listen, when the last Mohegan comes through, I'm going to be riding with him because I'm going to stay with him as long as he don't change anything, as long as he don't swap his wife or something else, as long as he don't start drinking or change his doctrine or pull the name Baptist off this church or pull down the King James and stick something. Now, if he does that, vote him out. Vote him out. Get you somebody in here that will be an independent Baptist. But until he does, until he does, I'm going to let the man of God be the leader and I'm going to renew my vow to stand with the man of God. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed.